I invite you to stand as we reflect on God's Word together this morning. We will be sharing from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You have that text printed for you. Would you join together in the reading of God's Word? I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated, and I encourage you to take that outline in hand as we look at God's word together this morning. Last Sunday, we began a series of messages on the end times. And some of you probably are wondering, why are we even doing this? Why are we asking ourselves what the end of the world is going to be like, and uh, why are we spending four Sundays? Well, I've discovered, and I suspect that you have too, is that there is a lot of interest in these topics today. People are talking about these things. People are asking questions about what's the world going to be like, when's it going to happen, when is Christ going to return, and there's a lot of interest, and we're, I would even suggest that a lot of us are obsessed with wanting to know more and more information. If, um, if movies are in any way a reflection of cultural trends, something very fascinating, I think, is happening. I did a little research, and I discovered that back in the 1950s, Hollywood made seven movies about end times. Seven. In the 1960s, it made 14. In the 70s, it made 25 films. In the 80s and 90s, respectively, in each of those decades, Hollywood made 32 films about end times. In this century, the first decade, 2000 to 2009, 59 films were made about the end times. In the first four years of this decade, from 2010 to 2014, there have been 41 films already. At that pace, in this decade, Hollywood's going to come out with 150 movies on end times. Now, that's not coincidental. That's because they're responding to the interest and the speculation that is out there. You see, people everywhere, religious people, non-religious people, they look around at the world. They look at the planet. They look at dwindling resources, and they consider what's going on in the world politically and socially and morally, and there's a sense in which people are saying to themselves, this really can't keep going on indefinitely like this. Something's going to happen that's going to bring all this to an end. Academia is on board. Listen to this comment from secular scientist Stephen Hawkins from Cambridge University. He says, Life on earth is at the ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by a disaster such as sudden global warming, nuclear war, a genetically engineered virus, or other dangers. I think the human race has no future if it doesn't go into space. Now that's a, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? We'll talk about some gloom and doom. There it is. Listen, the Bible acknowledges that there's going to be an end time. There's going to be a time of God's final judgment which the world as we know it today is going to cease to be. But here's the deal. 
That doesn't have to be bad news. A lot of times people think, oh, we're going to be talking about end times. That's going to be gloom and doom. Well, there's going to be some gloom and doom. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But for the most part, this is not bad news. This is good news. This can be amazing news. This can be awesome, incredible news if you're prepared. Now, last Sunday, if you were here, I challenged us that as we go through these times together, I want us to adopt a motto. That's going to be our mantra for living our lives. It goes like this. When it comes to end times, don't be scared. Be prepared. Don't be scared. Be prepared. And the way to be prepared is to know Jesus Christ. The way to be prepared is to accept Christ's offer of salvation and eternity with him and to offer to accept the salvation which he provides and align your life not with the kingdom of darkness like we talked about last Sunday, but the the kingdom of light, his kingdom, and be a follower of his. And if you're prepared, you don't have to fear any of this. There's nothing about end times prophecy that you have the least bit to be scared about or worried about if you're prepared. Whether it's going to happen tomorrow or whether it's going to happen a thousand years from now or more. Now, I'm, I'm fully aware that, that the topic of these messages, the whole topic of, of Bible prophecy and end times, uh, this is, a, this is a, a challenging enterprise because, at best, theologians, faithful Christians, have very different thoughts that are all over the board, each of them saying they're right. And so I'm fully aware this morning that... Uh, You might take issue with some of the things I'm going to say. That is okay. I make no claims to to have 100% knowledge of the end times. But what I want to try to do is to present uh, the the most prominent, the most uh, logical, reasonable explanation of end times as I possibly can. And what we're going to do over these four Sundays is we're going to take an aerial view and kind of get a, a glimpse of what's going to happen when the end times come. Now, a lot of us, when we hear end times, we immediately go to Revelation. And we think that that's where all of it is talked about. But here's what I've discovered. That the prophecies that we're going to be looking at don't start with Revelation. They're not limited to Revelation. They start in the Old Testament. We see them referred to over and over in the New Testament, in the Gospels, even in the very words of Jesus, all talking about God's plans for his future in that day. Now, we're going to be looking at four major events that prophecy talks about. The first we looked at last Sunday, and that's the rapture. This morning we're going to be looking at what the Bible calls the Antichrist and a period of tribulation that follows the rapture. Next Sunday... It's going to be a whole lot more positive and exciting. We're going to talk about the second coming of Christ when he comes back in final victory and sets up his kingdom. And then the fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth that God's going to create where we will live with him forever. So today, let's pick up where we left off last week after the rapture. All right. The rapture has happened. The dead in Christ, those who are dead and buried in the grave, the dead in Christ have risen. They've, given, they've been given new resurrection bodies. Those Christians who are living at the time of the rapture, 
We are going to be transformed in the blink of an eye in an instant. Our, we will be give, transformed into our resurrection bodies. The dead in Christ, those alive in Christ, will meet Christ in the air. We will be transported to heaven. Now trust me, I realize this is talk, this is language that transcends our capacity to fully embrace or understand. There's a mystery about it because it's something we've never experienced before. And it will be a once in historical thing when it does happen. So we've been transported, the dead in Christ, the living in Christ, all Christians, we've been transported into heaven. See, Jesus had said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back. And when I return, I'm going to take you to where I am so that where I am, you and I will be forever. We hear that any time we go to a Christian funeral. That has now happened in the rapture. Now think about this. Following the rapture, the world is a vastly different place than it was the day before. Of the six billion people living in the world right now, it's estimated that two billion of us are Christians. Now, assuming that only half of those who identify as Christians are true believers, it's safe to say that one billion people in an instant are going to be gone. The church will be gone. The charitable work of the church goes away. The influence of Christianity in our culture, in in our social order, is gone. With so many gone, the economy is thrown into a tailspin. Businesses collapse. Now, if you can assume that across the world, many of the presidents of nations and world leaders and Congress are Christians, then that means, in a blink of an eye, hundreds, if not more, political leaders, presidents, kings, Congress, all gone. Now, just kind of let that sink in. You know, there's some people who wonder what the world would be like without the church, without Christian influence. We're going to find out. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. Right now, with the world in that weakened condition, in those fragile conditions where there's been this vacuum of a billion people, believers, gone. The Bible tells us that it's ripe for the rise of a leader who's been called the Antichrist. Now, John in Revelation also refers to him as the beast. So, the beast. So, if you hear the beast, Antichrist, one and the same. And the Antichrist is going to come to power, and what's going to happen, according to Scripture, is a seven year reign called the tribulation. The tribulation is going to be a period of horrible, unimaginable suffering. Now, I'm going to self-impose a censorship on me this morning because I'm conscious of the fact that we have little ears in the room. If I were to actually describe specifically the things that the tribulation says are going to happen, it would be that some ears might not need to hear. Do you follow me? 
So I'm going to censor myself and just say that it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. But before the Antichrist comes, power, and before the tribulation, something, according to Scripture, has to happen to Israel. Now this is fascinating. 2,600 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel, prophesied that there would be a day when the Jews who have been scattered around the world would gather again and would become for the first time a sovereign nation, the nation of Israel. And that would happen about the time of the end. He also predicted that soon after Israel is a nation, that it would be attacked by a massive assault from the north by surrounding nations. Now, Ezekiel actually gives us the names of those nations, but the names have changed. But the areas are the same, and the names those areas currently have are these. Russia, Iran, Turkey, the Sudan, Libya, Iraq, Syria, and others. And the purpose of this massive attack on Israel will be to obliterate the Jews. Now the first of these two prophecies in Ezekiel have already happened. Israel becoming a nation in 1948. The second prophecy of a massive assault against Israel hasn't happened. However, it is a very real and present and existing threat that could happen any day. If you were to look at the nation of Israel, a tiny country about the size of Rhode Island, if you look at it on a map, it is completely surrounded by about 12, 15 other nations, all who have centuries-old hostilities toward the Jewish people and who would like nothing more than to see Israel destroyed. So you wonder, when the Ayatollahs of Iran shout death to Israel and when they speak of, quote, wiping Israel off the map, Those are not idle threats. Those are not new threats. They are threats that have been in the works for centuries. And so, you you know why Israel gets a little nervous when it sees the escalating military might of the Arab countries around it? You know why Israel gets a little nervous when it sees Russia sending tanks and troops into Syria as is happening right this very moment? You know why Israel gets really nervous when it hears talk about the Iranian nuclear deal that apparently is about to be supported? It's because they know Bible prophecy. And they know that such an attack is a very real possibility. Now, Scripture tells us that the end of time will begin when this attack takes place. 
Scripture also tells us that God's protection is going to be with Israel and God's going to thwart the invasion and destroy the invading armies. All right. So that's going to happen to Israel. After that takes place, the stage is set for the Antichrist. And that period known as tribulation. Now, that's referred to in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2 that we read just a moment ago. John refers to the riding, seeing a, a, a white horse, and on that white horse is a great leader with a bow who comes to conquer. That's the Antichrist. He's going to be a great, powerful leader. What he's going to do, the very first thing that he's going to do is to establish a covenant with Israel to protect Israel as a nation and then to rule the world. Now, he's going to be identified by the numbers 666. I'm sure we've all seen that. He's going to claim to be like God and is actually going to be worshipped by God. Now, Here's the interesting thing. In Hebrew numerology, the number three is the number that the people have assigned to God. God is represented by the number three. And that's interesting when you think about it because the Hebrew people were monotheistic, one God. You and I as Christians, we're monotheistic. We believe in one God. So what's the meaning of the three? Could it be that even in those ancient times there was a sense of God's relational component of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's interesting. So three is a number for God. In Hebrew numerology, six is, was assigned to be the number for man. Therefore, you take the symbol for man, six, you put three of them together, Six, six, six. What you have is man in triplicate. Or man worshiped as, viewed as God. And that's going to be the identifying mark of the Antichrist. He's going to start by leading a federation of ten nations. Some people think this is Europe. The European Union. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. He's going to become so popular that other nations will join in, and so he will rule over this multinational government, which some suggest could be a one-world government, and view that as another sign of, of the end times. Now, the Antichrist is going to be hugely popular because he's going to promise two things. He's going to promise, first of all, economic security. Now think about the world as we described it a moment ago. The economy's in chaos. Businesses are shutting down. A billion of the world's leaders are gone. He's going to promise economic security. Whatever you need, whatever you want, he's going to tell the people, I can give it to you. Now if you think we have a, a society that is an entitlement culture today, there's going to be nothing with the entitlement culture that's going to exist at that time. And then the second thing he's going to promise is peace. The world's going to be in chaos. It's going to be mass confusion. So he offers world peace. 
Let me just share a few other characteristics about the Antichrist. And I printed these for you here. He, he will be a man of genius. He'll be a genius of intellect. He's going to be a genius of commerce. A great military leader skilled in war. He's going to be an eloquent and persuasive speaker. He's going to be a, an astute politician. He's going to be deceptive and cunning. I know what some of you think. You're saying, I know this person right now. <laughs> I don't know. Now, he's going to reign for seven years. It is going to be a hard, oppressive time of great human suffering. The tribulation. Revelation talks about the four horses of the apocalypse. The first horse we've already looked at, the white horse. The other horses in sequence will lay out the horrors and the suffering that, we, that will be experienced during the tribulation. Just to give you the overview, the tribulation is seven years in two parts. The first three and a half years. The Antichrist is going to be revealed who he is. He's going to reveal his true nature. Therefore, he's going to turn on Israel. And there will be mass, mass loss of life and destruction. Not only will he destroy the Jews, he will destroy any Christians who've come to faith in Jesus Christ since the rapture. The peace that he promised is going to be destroyed because he is going to convince armies and peoples to turn on one another. And a nation will be fighting within itself, not just other nations. And brothers will be fighting against one another. Friends will turn on one another. It is going to be a season of unparalleled, unprecedented mass death and destruction. The second three and a half years... We begin to see what, a, what the Bible calls the judgments of God on the world. Here again, massive death through earthquakes and famines and disease. There's going to be cosmic phenomena, cataclysmic loss of life due to meteors and asteroids hitting the earth. There's going to be hail and fire that's going to ravage. A third of the earth is going to be burned up. A third of the trees and the vegetation are going to be destroyed. Most of the population will not survive. Suffice it to say, this is not a time you want to be alive. Now, these are referred to as God's judgments. And if you take the time to actually read the book of Revelation, there are three categories of, of judgments. There's the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments which will be revealed by the opening of a seal, the blowing of a trumpet, and bowls. Now, and with each judgment, they are more severe and more severe and more severe and more severe. Now, granted, I have to confess, this is a bitter pill to swallow. For us as Christians who know God to be a loving God, as revealed through Jesus Christ, our immediate response is, this can't be. How in the world can God allow or cause such horrific events as Revelation talks about? How do we come to terms with that? Quite frankly, I don't think that we can come to terms with 
the best way I can try to explain it is that we have to keep in mind that at that time, the world will have digressed to such a point of unprecedented evil and distortion of God's purpose for it that the only way God can see to fix it and to heal it is to break it. Start again. So that's the tribulation. Here's the good news. All throughout this time, these seven years, all is not lost because the scripture says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be preached and proclaimed during that time. And so people will still have the opportunity to hear the gospel, to repent, and to give their lives to Christ. And a lot of them will. And we'll be saved from the wrath to come. Others will not. So the next question then is, so when does all this happen? Well, we're not exactly sure, but there are some things that we can point to if we believe in the scripture. First of all, we know that this, the Antichrist and the tribulation are going to come after the rapture. We know that this is going to happen after Israel has become a nation and has endured the assault from the north. After that, beyond that, we don't really know and can't know specific times. The scripture tells us that. But scripture does give us signs. Signs that point to and give some degree of, some measure of anticipating things to look for. And there are several categories of signs that the scripture talks about. You have this on the back of your outline. The first are earth and sky signs. In Luke 21, Jesus is asked, Lord, when are these things going to take place? And this is Jesus' response. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. Earthquakes and famines we know about. What are pestilences? Pestilences are epidemic fatal disease. Ebola in Africa last year. The plague in the early last century. What about fearful events? What are they? The actual Greek word here for fearful events is the word translated terror. In the end days, there will be events of great terror and terrorism. I don't want to be an alarmist, and I certainly can't predict anything. But we live in a day and time of unprecedented terror in the world today. When I grew up, the word terrorism was never used. It was a concept we'd never even thought about. Today, we live with its reality every single day. What about signs in heaven? Those, that could be any number of things. It could mean strange weather patterns. It could mean falling objects such as meteors and asteroids. I know that sounds far-fetched, but the scientific community today, most scientists 
agree that it is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. The earth is struck by a heavenly binding, like an asteroid or a meteorite that's going to cause horrific loss of life. And then there are moral signs the Bible alludes to. This passage here that I want to read is from 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That's kind of the moral climate that's going to exist. It's a sign that the end times are near. Now, I've underscored three phrases there. Look at that. The lover of self. We could call that humanism. Lovers of money. We could call that materialism. Lovers of pleasure. We could call that hedonism. Three of the most prevalent philosophies at work in the world today. Now, if you and I engaged in a conversation this afternoon about the moral climate in this country, I suspect that we would not agree on a lot of things. Some of the things that I think are immoral, you might not think are immoral, and vice versa. So I just simply ask you, you yourself, you look at the world today, you look at our nation today, and you ask yourself, do you believe that we are experiencing moral decline in this nation? around the world. The scriptures allude to religious signs. Matthew 24, this is Jesus speaking. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. Second Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I fully aware that I am what I'm about to say is not shared by a lot of people, a lot, not even a lot of my peers in the ministry, but I'm absolutely convinced. If the biggest threat to the world is terrorism, the biggest threat to the church is apostasy. Twisting God's truth to suit our own passions and to accommodate our own opinions 
redefining God's truth to justify the world's words. It is happening today. It's been happening for the last few years at least, probably more. It is going, I believe, to destroy our witness in the world and bring upon us the judgment of God as his church. Then there are technological signs. Consider Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. It's been suggested or prophesied that the end will not come until all the world has had the opportunity to be exposed to and hear gospel of Jesus. Up until recently, that has not been a possibility. Now it is a possibility. With technology and satellites and internet and social media and the capacity to print volumes of the scripture in any and every known human language, we now have that potential to reach every living person. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's never happened before our lifetime. The Bible, Revelation, talks about massive explosions and, and a third of the world being burned and a third of the trees and the vegetation gone and people suffering boils and sores of, of, of all sorted, un, unimaginable description. And some have suggested, could this be a reference to a nuclear catastrophe and radiation and all the rest? that up until now, this generation has really not been possible. I don't know, but it's a sign. You know what? I wish that I could dress up the tribulation. I wish I could make it sound better and not so horrible, but I can't. In fact, I have really skirted over and, as I said, censured a lot of the of exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be a time of unprecedented suffering and pain, a time that words cannot fully describe. But here's the deal. You don't have to experience any of it or worry about any of that. You will avoid it all if you say yes to Jesus Christ. Don't be scared. Be prepared. Accept Jesus Christ. Devote yourself to accepting his gift of eternity and salvation and abundant life. And none of this other is something you have to worry about at all. The other day, actually just, just a day or two ago, I got an email the subject said this, a whole new life awaits you, Stuart, at Tomorrow World. Now, I didn't have any idea what Tomorrow World is. Some of y'all do. But I went online to check it out. I didn't know if it was like an amusement park or, or what. So I checked this place out, and here's, here's how I can describe Tomorrow World. It is basically, it sounds like, 
Woodstock on steroids. And they describe it as coming together to celebrate three days of love, peace, joy, and harmony. Now, listen, you need to know about this if you plan to be driving anywhere. It's this weekend. 160,000 people from across America and around the world are going to invade this area, and they're holding this thing over in Chattahoochee Hills, right next to Serenade. It's going to be crazy. And from what I can tell online, during these three days, pretty much anything goes. Listen, I have no interest in going to tomorrow work. It has nothing remotely to offer me that can make my life here better or more secure in eternity. I'll tell you one thing. I'm looking forward to great expectations of going to his tomorrow world because he's described that I know what it's going to be like. He's already extended the invitation to me, and I've accepted the invitation. And I know, therefore, when I die, when I leave this world, or this world leaves me, whichever comes first, it's going to be okay because I'm going to be with him. I accepted his invitation. He's invited every one of you. What's your decision? What's your decision? Be prepared. Experience the amazing life eternity that God has prepared for you? Or be prepared to endure a time of unparalleled hardship and pain in this world? The choice is one we each. God, we know that this tribulation period you talk about in this antichrist is it's, it's, it's such bad news. But God, we know that, uh, this Lord, help us to hold on because next week we're going to talk about something far more glorious. You're going to come back, you're going to reign, and you're going to establish your kingdom here on this earth. We want to be a part of it. And so God, I just pray that you would uh, help each of us to reflect on, on what's been said Reflect on what your word says. God, I just pray that not a person here would forfeit the opportunity to receive the gift of love and life and wholeness and life eternal that you offer. And so, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. When we come and we gather here, Lord, we deal with matters of huge, huge significance. We pray, oh God, that we'd be wise enough to choose to line our lives.
with you here and forever. And it's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray.